Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hurricane Ian hitting South Carolina as we speak. The lead starts right now. Ian strikes again, this time lashing South Carolina's low country, pushing heavy rains and wind into cities that are already vulnerable to flooding. This after Ian's destructive path already wiped out parts of Florida's west coast, leaving other parts of the state swamped, the floodwaters in some areas, chest deep. Draining vital resources, long waits for gas, stores wiped out, emergency rooms forced to turn away patients, all this in what may end up being the state's costliest hurricane on record. Plus, Putin makes his land grab official, the biggest annexation and absorption in Europe since 1945, as protesters here in the U.S. leaving their mark, vandalizing the Russian consulate. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jay Tapper. Hurricane Ian right now, making its third landfall in South Carolina after previously hitting Florida and Cuba earlier this week. Residents of South Carolina are looking southward, no doubt, at what happened in Florida with dread. In the Sunshine State, cleanup just beginning. Ian decimated parts of Fort Myers Beach. Winds ripping hotels, restaurants, even the pier itself right out of the ground. It's a similar scene on Sanibel Island in Florida. Homes, hotels, docks destroyed, littering the beaches with debris. Listen to how President Biden described the destruction earlier today. We're just beginning to see the scale of that destruction. It's likely to rank among the worst of the nations and the worst in the nation's history. You have all seen the tele- seen on television, homes and property wiped out. It's going to take months, years to rebuild. As of now, we know of at least 25 people in Florida killed by this storm. Right now in South Carolina, Ian is just beginning its attack. You're looking right now at already flooded streets in Pawley Island. That's between Charleston and Myrtle Beach. Water rising several feet off the ground. In Cherry Grove, just north of Myrtle Beach, that city's pier collapsed and it's beginning to float away. We're going to start our coverage with CNN's Nick Valencia, who's in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, just north of where the storm just made landfall. Nick, tell us what it looks like now. Jake, it was just about two hours ago that Hurricane Ian made landfall south of us in Georgetown, but we're still feeling the intensity of the wind, though the rain has sort of stopped for now, giving us a brief pause here. And one of the good signs is that they were really expecting some coastal localized flooding. We did see that, but that water is starting to recede. At the height of it, though, we saw water levels at about 10 feet high and storm surge about six and a half to seven and a half feet. And just a few moments ago, some pretty dramatic images that we just shot video of. If you could see just in the distance, seemingly out of nowhere in the Atlantic, a shrimp boat emerged. Uh, We don't believe that there was anyone on that boat, but it did uh, cause enough of a scene for residents to come out here and go towards that boat. We're going to go investigate as soon as this live shot's up. Uh, But really, there is still no shortage of drama here, not necessarily the damage that we saw in Florida, but there have been some significant reports of damage, specifically to the piers in and around this area. There's portions of the pier in the water as well as fallen trees 
and uh, power is a factor here. 13,000 people without power in this area. Talking to the mayor, though, they do believe that the worst of it has passed, and they think that they dodged a major bullet, uh, especially considering that they were expecting to see a lot more widespread flooding here in this area. As I do mention, though, as I mentioned all that, wind is going to continue to be a factor as this intensifies in the coming hour. Jake. All right, Nick Valencia, thank you so much. Let's bring in Brian Henry. He is the mayor of Pauley's Island, just south of Myrtle Beach. Uh, mayor Henry, thanks for joining us. So we have a photo of the pier in Pauley's Island collapsing from the surging ocean. Uh, are you worried uh, about structures all along that beach, I imagine? Jake, thanks for having me on. And uh, yes, we are concerned about that. Uh, it was a Category 1 hurricane, but we experienced tremendous storm surge today probably beyond what most people anticipated here in Pauley's Island. Um, we, the storm surge started around 1030 uh, this morning, and to be honest with you, it's beginning to recede, but we still have a tremendous amount of water on our roadways and across the island. You just got an update on the storm, I understand. What did you learn? Well, we, we, we know that there are always predictions and forecasts, and there are always warnings we, we need to heed those and make sure that we plan for the worst-case scenario. I, it's not to say we were flat-footed, but I do believe that most of us felt like we were not going to see a, going to see a storm surge at seven-plus seven feet that we did today. Have there been any rescues of the citizens of Pauley's Island? And if so, how many? Can you tell us anything about it? I can tell you that there was one rescue uh, towards the north end of the island. There was a couple with a number of cats and dogs at a they were in a, a one-level house that were experiencing chest-level flooding, and they needed to get out. And our local fire and rescue did a fantastic, fantastic job getting in there and taking care of it. So we appreciate them and all of our police force that's been doing yeoman's work today, uh, serv serving the island and its residents. And, and Mayor Henry, what are you most worried about going forward? Well, the main thing for us is we have not been able to do an assessment of the damage because both of the causeways onto the island are still flooded and impassable. So our biggest concern is that how do we get all of the debris off of the roadways uh, and off of the properties and make sure that the island is, is safe to enter. We will close the island more than likely for a few days to make sure structures are secure, electrical is safe, there's no gas leaks, the roads are safe to pass. We've got a, a, a quite a mess on Pauley's Island, and uh, we, we need to make sure it's safe. And we need resources from the state to make sure that, that we can get the island cleaned up in, a, in an expeditious fashion. And, Mayor Henry, I know I don't need to tell you, but for anybody uh, from Pauley's Island listening or anybody in the path of the storm, sometimes the most dangerous part is in the days after the storm hits. That's when trees fall. That's when uh, power lines are down and electrocute people. So please... Please be careful. Listen to the authorities. Brian Henry, Mayor of Pauley's Island, South Carolina. Thank you and best of luck to you, sir. Thank you, Jake. I appreciate the opportunity. CNN meteorologist Jennifer Gray is tracking Hurricane Ian's latest path. And Jennifer, Ian has weakened since it hit Florida, but it still re remains a very powerful storm system. Yeah, it is powerful. It's got rain. We still have the uh, gusty winds. And as you mentioned, we could see trees down, power lines down. We have very big trees across the southeast. And so we could see some branches and trees fall. But the storm is pushing inland and it is winding down. The storm is weakening. We still have breezy conditions along the coast. However, the storm surge is subsiding 
All of that has peaked. Really, our two main threats right now moving forward will be the heavy downpours and also the tornado threat moving into the evening hours. Look at this. This was Myrtle Beach earlier today. This peaked as the third highest storm surge on record, passing Isaias. Now it's coming down. You can see back into minor flood stage. That's the good news. We had the outgoing tide that was also helping the storm surge go down. And so we have already peaked and things are improving in that category. Tornado watch in all of these areas until 10 o'clock tonight. Uh, tornado brief spin-ups are definitely common when we have tropical systems because of all of the rotation. So this storm is going to be on the move throughout the rest of today and the weekend. We are going to have a rainy period for all of Virginia, including D.C., uh, South, uh, West Virginia. We're going to see some showers even pulling into portions of the northeast. So while this is pulling away from the southeast and conditions improve there, all of this rain will really be soaking portions of the mid-Atlantic and the Ohio River Valley as we go through the weekend. So additional rainfall looks to be anywhere from, say, two to four inches. Could see some isolated amounts up to six. And remember, in some of these locations, we have some higher elevations as well. So we will be need, need to be on the lookout for some flash flooding around some of the higher terrain, Jake. But things are improving for sure along the coast by this evening. We should be in much better shape there. All right, Jennifer Gray, thanks so much for that update. As Hurricane Ian lashes the coast of the Carolinas, President Biden warns that it could maybe take years for Florida to fully recover from this monster storm. CNN's Brian Todd joins us now live from Naples, Florida. Brian, tell us what you're seeing there. Right, Jack. This is about 48 hours, a little over 48 hours since the storm passed. And some of the water, of course, has receded, but some of it has not. Take a look at this intersection here, Gulf Shore Boulevard. This, this is not deep, of course, by any standards, this water, especially by the standards that this town is used to. But it's still tough for vehicles to navigate 48 hours plus since the storm passed in earnest. This comes today as just the damage and the overall sense of devastating loss still being assessed by local officials. Nothing left. Zero. The full extent of Hurricane Ian's destruction now coming fully into view. Aerial damage assessments showing coastal Florida neighborhoods with roofs torn off, homes flattened, house after house either flooded or wiped out, some buildings with nothing left but the concrete slab, remote locations like Pine Island and Sanibel Island cut off from the mainland. These before and after images showing just how hard Sanibel was hit. So far, more than 700 people rescued, the governor says. Rescue personnel have gone to more than 3,000 homes in the hardest hit areas. This car in Orange County was filled with water up to the seats when the passengers were rescued. The Coast Guard making rescues by air from flooded communities along the coast. Here, a rescuer is lowered into the water, finds a woman in a house surrounded by water. Make sure you have a bag with a dry pair of clothes with uh, IDs, cell phones, wallets. A basket is lowered. She climbs in, clutches her pet crate, and she and her pet are hoisted to safety. Volunteers pitching in as well, using boats to evacuate survivors stranded by the floodwaters. The surge was higher than nine feet. Harrowing stories from the deluge still emerging, including from the survivor who took this video. Initially, the water pushed me up the stairs. And then it sucked me back down as well. I got completely submerged underwater, all above my head. Among residents returning to survey the damage, distress and determination. It's emotional. That's all I can say. Yeah. <laughs> Put a lot of hard work into it. Even inland, in places like Orlando, floodwater still high today. Authorities warning residents of lingering dangers. What's the biggest danger that the community is facing right now? 
We have multiple, multiple dangers out there, down power lines that might be re-energized. Just try to stay home, try to stay safe, and uh, call us if you need us. The death toll now at least 25, including a 67-year-old man who died in floodwaters last night before rescuers could reach him. 1.8 million customers still without power. Some could take days or weeks to restore. Crews clearing debris and stand from the streets. But gasoline still scarce in some places. The fuel supply is flowing. It's just a matter of the, the gas stations need to have power to be able to operate. And again, here's a look at how some of these streets are still very tough to navigate. Some of these vehicles coming through here having a tough time crossing this intersection. Again, it's only a few inches deep, but the water, 48 plus hours since this storm has passed, not receded yet. You see that scene over there with all these uh, items from this house put on the curbside. We have seen this just so many dozens of times, people putting couches, beds, everything on curbsides that has just been ruined. And to give you a sense of the loss, Jake, uh, we have some figures from the uh, property analytics firm CoreLogic. They say that Hurricane Ian, just in Florida, could have caused about $47 billion worth of damage. That would make it the most expensive hurricane in this state's history. And that's the, so that's the property assessment and the damage assessment. But the dangers are not passed yet. I just spoke to the police chief, uh, Pete DiMaria, who you saw in our piece. He said that uh, a lot of structural fires still going on in the city because, uh, you know, downed wires inside houses are causing shortages. It's still really a scramble this afternoon to keep people safe. And again, 48 hours later. All right, Brian Todd reporting from Naples, Florida. Thanks so much. Then there's what Ian already did on Florida's West Coast. Look at this. Home after home after home. Gone in Fort Myers, Florida. We're going to go live to areas of Florida likely reshaped forever because of Ian's destructive force. And areas still swamped in chest-high flooding well after Ian has moved out. Stay with us. All that debris just littered everywhere. These were buildings? This was the building right there? There were buildings, restaurants, and what used to be the Fort Myers Pier. CNN's John Berman getting a devastating aerial view earlier today of the damage along Florida's west coast. Let's head north of Fort Myers up into Sarasota County, Florida, in the town of Northport. CNN's Carlos Suarez is there live. Carlos, are the flood waters there? Have they receded? No, Jake, they haven't. In fact, in this one neighborhood just south of I-75, the flooding has gotten worse. This is how things look at right now. Just a few minutes ago, several boats went out trying to go ahead and rescue some folks that have been stranded in their homes, some of them for several days now. There's one boat that's about to come in. And just a few minutes ago, anywhere between six to nine people were brought in three boats. The effort out here has been going on for the better part of the entire day. We're talking about folks with the Army. We're also talking about Northport Police. We're also including in this neighbors, folks who have just showed up because they heard what was happening and they brought out their jet skis, they brought out their kayaks, they brought out their airboats, all in an effort to try to get all of these folks that have been stuck in their homes to a safe place. Jake? Have rescue crews been able to get to any of those individuals who are trapped in their homes? 
Yeah, it's our understanding that they have been able to rescue dozens of folks. We did ask them exactly how many individuals they have been able to get out of their homes. And we were told, look, we've been busy the entire day. There are a number of law enforcement agencies involved. And so they couldn't give us an exact number. But they said they're going to continue to work through the night uh, because uh, the situation out here doesn't seem to be uh, letting up. Dom, I don't know if you can show them this one canal here that runs along uh, the neighborhood. The water there is just continuing to come in from a nearby creek. Uh, we interviewed a number of families earlier today, including one woman who left her home. She tried to get her grandmother to come with her. Her grandmother said no, she wished uh, she had in the end though. My grandparents are still at the house. Um, we have animals there. They don't want to leave the animals. So whenever we left on the boat, it was just a scary feeling like you don't know if you're ever going to see them again, if you're going to see your house again, your animals again. So that's, that's why I'm a little shaken up. It's just you never know what you're going to come back to. I mean, we already lost both of our cars, so it's a very scary feeling. And Jake, you're taking a look at the Army as they bring yet more equipment out to this one neighborhood. We're told that the Red Cross is helping these folks with a place to stay, but this is how it has been the entire day out here. A number of agencies working together to try to get all of these folks out. Uh, we did talk to some uh, of these uh, law enforcement agencies uh, earlier today, and we asked them just how long they expected to be out here. And Jake, they told us they're going to keep doing this uh, well into the night. And so long as it is safe for them to do so, they are going uh, to go ahead and continue to go around this neighborhood. Every couple of minutes, these boats will come in. Someone will be here and tell them, look, I need you to go up that street, hang a right, go all the way to the end. The family that's there, they're ready to be rescued. Jake. All right, Carlos Suarez, and we're watching it happen right in front of us. Appreciate it. Uh, let's bring in Amanda Trompetta and Demetrios Francis, uh, whose home in the Orlando area, specifically Winter Springs, Florida, was flooded by Hurricane Ian. We should note that unlike parts of the Florida West Coast, there was no evacuation order uh, where they're from in Orange County. Uh, uh, Demetrios, uh, let me start with you. Um, earlier yesterday morning, your dog was the first to alert you that water was rushing into your home rising about three feet in less than an hour. Take, take us through what that was like. So I was still sleeping and Amanda got woken up by the dog and he was barking. I know it was around five-ish, 5.15, 5.30. Uh, and then she stepped on the floor and she started screaming that there was water on the ground and it was only ankle deep at that point. But it only took about a couple of hours until it was about three foot, like waist height for me, basically. And I'm about six foot. Uh, Amanda, I mean, is it overstating matters to say the dog helped save you? I think um, if he hadn't started to bark at that time, we probably would have woken up because the bed would have been uh, wet. And by that point, um, you know, we wouldn't have saved the important documents that we saved, which hopefully are going to help us with the insurance and um, just a couple of really important things that we were able to save um, at that time. Yeah. Well, it's a good dog either way. Um, you, you both were finally rescued around noon. Um, there's some video that you recorded uh, that we're showing right now as you left your home on the rescue boat. I mean, um, what was that experience like? Uh, it, it was, it's weird to see a boat uh, float in the street where we usually drive our cars and then see our cars fully submerged underwater. It was, it's just surreal. I, mean, I don't think um, I don't think 
we knew what was happening and I don't think we still have grasped all of it. Do you know, um, Amanda, if your house is still flooded or are you worried about this happening again in the future? What's your, do you want to rebuild? What are you going to do? We spent the majority of the day there today. It's still pretty flooded on the outside. Um, the inside is mostly, um, the water's gone, but everything's obviously damp and ruined. So, um, as far as what we do from here, um, it's very scary. We just bought the house two years ago. We were planning to live there for quite a lot, a lot more. Um, and at this point, I think we're just planning to rebuild slowly. And then after that, p- potentially leave because we just can't go through this again. And Demetrios, my understanding is you left with only your pets and a backpack. Um, so much of what you own, your, your cars, your furniture, so many of your possessions just destroyed. Um, and, and we should also know that you two are set to be married in a couple weeks. And, and one of the items left behind was uh, Amanda's uh, wedding dress. Uh, how difficult has this whole situation been? So luckily, uh, I could, we could not be luckier for the, the support we've received from uh, friends and family and, and even strangers online. They're offering help. Um, Amanda's sister did a GoFundMe for us. It's just raised a lot more money than we ever would have hoped they would. Uh, but like you said, yes, um, the cars are gone. The wedding dress hopefully can be saved. We went back and got it, but it did get damaged. Um, so many of our personal belongings are just, you know, they can be replaced, but it's it's hard to see your your livelihood just be destroyed like that in, in just matter of matter of hours. You know, and you sit there idly. You can't do anything about it, unfortunately. Amanda, are you still planning the wedding still going through in two weeks? Yes, we yep. are still moving forward with it. Um, yep. All of our friends and family that have been so incredibly supportive, um, they're all going to be there. And I, I haven't cried once throughout this whole experience, but I think when I see everyone, it's going to. Yeah. It's going to be a, a tearjerker. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys get us the GoFundMe that you talked about, and I'll, I'll tweet it out. Maybe some people watching will feel, feel moved enough to get you some wedding presents. We're glad you're okay, and obviously your, your pets, we're glad they're okay, too. That's, that is the most important thing, but I am so sorry you're going through this. Amanda and Demetrios, thank you so much. Thank you so much. We appreciate your time. They are just, of course, uh, two of the hundreds of thousands of Floridians impacted by the storm and now facing an uncertain future. For more information about how you can help victims of Hurricane Ian, whether financially or through other ways, volunteer work, uh, you can go to CNN.com slash impact. And as I said, I will go on Twitter later and give the GoFundMe for that sweet couple if you want to help them out. The Orlando areas in central Florida, it didn't even take a direct hit, yet many parts look like this. Crews are still going door-to-door, making rescues. We'll take you there live next. And we're back with breaking news. The death toll in Florida from Hurricane Ian is regrettably rising. Lee County Sheriff confirmed just a short while ago 16 hurricane-related deaths in that county which is uh, in the area of uh, Fort Myers, that would bring CNN's tally to at least 42 dead in Florida alone as a result of this monster storm. 42. Much of central Florida is still reeling from historic flooding brought about by Hurricane Ian. We introduced you to a couple in the last segment uh, recovering from that. Take a look at this uh, new CNN drone video from Orlando uh, showing dozens of homes and streets still underwater in that city. Again, that's in the center of the state. That is not at the coast. 
Officials there are warning that residents need to know it could be days before the water recedes. CNN's Ryan Young is live for us in Orlando. Ryan, Ryan tell us what you're seeing there. Yeah, Jake, as you can imagine, we've just seen devastation all over the place. We're in Orla Vista, and you can just see the homes here that are just covered in water. And we noticed this boat going back and forth trying to help neighbors get some of their supplies. We even saw them helping rescue someone's pet because obviously people had to get out of here in such a quick fashion. Everyone here says they knew they were near water but never expected this much water to be in their neighborhood. And some folks are coming back even for medicine because they left so quickly. I mean, the National Guard was here yesterday and so were firefighters. But for, as far as the eye can see, you can see cars, you can see everything that's still underwater here. People just leaving their doors open to their homes who are just trying to escape. And the people who are actually helping them right now are not rescuers, not first responders. These are neighbors who are decided to come out and help them get from point A to point B. You said you've probably helped maybe 40 to 50 people get back to their homes today? 60. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people out here, man. And, and what has the impact been on these families? I mean, I, I saw a woman crying earlier when she was with you guys. Yes, I have about four or five friends and almost all of their pets has died so far, crying, trying to get hotels, trying to contact their family to get them to safety. It's sad out here, man. And by waiting for um, the fire rescue for hours, trying to come get them and rescue them. So that's whenever I stepped in, I said, hey, my dad has a kayak. Let me go you know, try to help as many of you guys as I can. Anything to help. And this all started with the kayak, and then it moved up to a boat. Henry's the captain who's guiding us around. Have you ever seen anything like this in your neighborhood? Mm, back in 2017, it was like this, but nothing like this. Nothing like the water at all. And uh, we saw some older residents that you guys were helping out earlier because people were talking about trying to get their medicine. Um, how heartbreaking has that been for you to see the pain that folks have had throughout the last few hours? Mm. I just couldn't, I just couldn't know, I couldn't live knowing that, that the people in my neighborhood were surfing from this hurricane, Ian, what's the name, Ian? Yeah. And yeah. I just had a boat and me and my, me and my sister-in-law, my daughter, we just, just dropped it and went to saving people, helping people out. Now, Jake, one thing they've been telling us is yesterday, first responders were here quickly, right? And they were able to get folks out. The problem is today they haven't heard from anybody and what they were hoping for, because they're older neighbors who are still in the backside, sitting in their garage, actually, and we pulled up on them. They don't want to leave their home. They don't want to leave their stuff. They say they don't plan to leave. They're hoping the water actually recedes. Um, as you turn around, you can see one of the lakes that sort of has spilled over, and you can see the heavy equipment that's been covered with water. People say they've never seen the water uh, this high in this area. There's been work to sort of drain out some of this over the years, but that hasn't helped. And so every hurricane from Irma to Charlie has hit this neighborhood hard. And as we go back this direction, every single home is dotted. And the deepness of it, it just sort of catches your breath. The fact that one lady told us she saw pets trying to escape homes, they did not make it. Some people were able to keep their pets on top of their kitchen table. They've come back to get to those pets. But at this point, what are you hoping the city does in the next few hours to help your neighbors? My first thing is try to get this water to not be here. It's way too high. It shouldn't be like this. The drainage should be way much better. I don't understand. That's my first hope is for this water to go down because... I mean, what else can we do? We can't come in, can't come out unless you have protective gear, some type of boat or a kayak, you know, and it's trash everywhere. We need to get the trash. And I heard there's been gators and snakes so far, even seen today. Oh, yes. I killed about two or three myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, so you're not worried about the snakes? I'm not worried about it. Look, I mean, Florida, we're built differently, I guess, at the same time. Um, 
when the people I saw said thank you to you earlier, how did you feel just about that thank you that you got from that family that you helped rescue earlier? Um, well, a couple of people tried to offer me money too, but 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 the type of family I come from, you know, it's 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 about me helping them, and you know, and I think that you know by me helping them and not receiving money from them, I think I'm gonna get many blessings, many blessings from up above. I appreciate you. So, Thank you so much. So, Jake, as we tour the rest of this neighborhood, you can understand why they say they continue to need help. Power companies are in the area trying to restore power to other neighbors. But as you can see, it's going to be a long time before these folks can dry out. Uh, Ryan, I'm, let's stay with you a little bit. This is pretty incredible. Um, yeah, if you could please. ask them, first of all, tell them how much admiration we all have for them uh, and what they're doing. Um, are Jake they says thank you to you guys, by the way. Right. <laughs> no are, they, are they frustrated at all that it's, that it's on them to do this um, and not, you know, the government that is a multi-billion dollar enterprise in Florida that, that should be yeah, there doing this work? That's a great question. So Jake wants to ask, are you frustrated that you haven't seen any city officials or anyone here from the city today to help out, especially after what happened to you guys yesterday? Yes, I am frustrated because looking at the news and everything, I think my my neighborhood exactly has got it worse than any other neighborhood. Yes, other neighborhood other neighborhoods have flooded, but I haven't seen not one other neighborhood with their house completely under the water. As we're going by, I'm seeing water all the way up to the door. So I'm really frustrated. We need help out here. Has anybody from a city government or anybody reached out at all? Have you seen even a city truck out here today? Not today at all. And I've been here since eight or nine this morning. Yeah, I mean, Jake, that's how we first got here we stopped at a gas station and one 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 was telling us hey the other neighborhoods have gotten a lot more attention you guys need to come here and if you look this direction um you can see every house is dotted by water um every single car is flooded doors are left open and as we were talking to people they just wanted some sort of response and they're not even city cones to block off this street the neighbors are pretty much doing this on their own at this point and the response they've seen in other neighborhoods has been better so that's part of the point so jake i guess we'll have to keep watching this neighborhood to see what happens next ryan the, the people is it only that one um older couple that that you ran into who's still in their home in their garage or, or are there other families uh in um, no, sir. Yeah. No, there are people. Yeah. Yeah, there are people who have returned. So there's at least four or five families, at least, maybe maybe more that are still in their homes, you think? Oh, yeah. Um, so so they, they have gone by some of these homes and offered them a way out. But so far, some people just don't want to leave, Jake. All right, Ryan Young. Well, stay in touch because this is a pretty incredible um, story you're telling here, and we appreciate it. And God bless them. I'm sure they are, they are getting their blessings. Uh, for, for their incredible work and philanthropy and, and uh, altruism. Ryan, we'll come back to you. Thank you so much. Uh, more from Ian in a moment. Uh, we are also just getting in some White House response to Putin's audacious move today, formally stealing four parts of Ukraine, the largest land grab in Europe since the end of World War II. Stay with us. Turning to our world lead now, Vladimir Putin moved to illegally seize a large chunk of Ukraine in a signing ceremony at the Kremlin today. Ukrainian land that Putin claims will now, quote, forever be part of Russia. Putin's illegal land grab comes following those sham referendum held in those four Russian-occupied areas where some Ukrainian citizens were, in fact, forced to vote at gunpoint. Let's bring in CNN's Matthew Chance along with CNN's Caitlin Collins at the White House. Matthew, 
What is Putin trying to accomplish here? No one in the Western world, no one in Ukraine is buying this. No, and um, I, I'm not sure there's that many people in Russia that, that believe that the, these four regions of Ukraine uh, wanted to, to join the country either. But it's, what the, it's the line Kremlin propaganda has been putting out. And so in some ways it serves a domestic interest because he can say, look, see, they, they voted for this and now, now it's happening. But it also sends a powerful message as well that despite the military cost that this military adventure of Vladimir Putin is causing, despite the, the global criticism and the, the economic sanctions that have been redoubled now as a result of this, I, uh, for want of a better word, annexation uh, of these territories, you know, Vladimir Putin and his country have, uh, well, he's decided the path for his country. No matter what the consequences, it seems that he is going ahead with this and vowing at the same time to defend those newly defined borders even potentially with uh, the nuclear deterrent that Russia possesses, you know, in kind of vast quantities. And so we're in a very dangerous um, predicament and situation at the moment, Jake. And on that note, uh, Caitlin, uh, Putin seemed to have nuclear weapons on his mind today. What did the White House have to say about that? Yeah, even for Putin, it, it was a pretty chilling speech, Jake. And he had some ominous comments about nuclear weapons, saying the United States has used them, saying there is precedent for this, and I asked Biden's national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, who came to the briefing room just a few moments ago to detail the sanctions that the White House says that they are imposing on top Russian officials and also preparing to, to use on any countries or entities that support what Putin has done here. But we asked, you know, just how worried are they about the language that Putin is using when it comes to nuclear weapons? This is what he told us. I've been clear myself, President Biden has been clear, our administration has been clear that there is a risk, given all of the loose talk and the nuclear saber rattling by Putin, uh, that he would consider this. And we've been equally clear about what the consequences would be. We have communicated that directly to the Russians. We do not presently see indications about the imminent use of nuclear weapons. That last part there is critical. Obviously, Jake, they're saying that they do not see any kind of movement, that it's imminent from Russia's behalf, but saying the risk is very clearly there. That is pretty blunt language coming from the National Security Advisor. And it came after President Biden himself spoke on this matter, saying that the United States and the West is not going to be intimidated by Putin's actions today, by the brazen words that he was using in that speech earlier, and also warning that anyone who tries to support this, that they are going to face consequences. All right, Caitlin Collins and Matthew Chance, thank you so much. A first in U.S. history and a major moment at the U.S. Supreme Court. See what the celebration was all about. That's next. In our politics lead and historic moment at the U.S. Supreme Court today, Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson has taken her ceremonial oath today at her investiture ceremony, emerging for a time-honored photo op with the Chief Justice of the United States. In this case, it's John Roberts. This means she has officially assumed her position on the nation's highest court. In a speech this afternoon, the justice acknowledged the historic nature of her post as the first ever black woman to ever serve as a U.S. Supreme Court justice. The people who approach, and especially the young people, they are seeing themselves portrayed in me, in my experience, and they are finally believing that anything is possible in this great country. CNN legal analyst and Supreme Court biographer Joan Biskupic joins us now live. And Joan, Justice uh, Jackson joins the bench at a really rough moment for the court. Tensions inside the court uh, reached a boiling, have reached a boiling point, it seems. And, and some of the justices are even publicly taking obvious shots at each other. 
You know, Jake, there's such a contrast between what happened today, the pageantry in the courtroom, her very rousing speech at the Library of Congress afterward that you just showed, you know, kind of the, the enthusiasm that, frankly, a lot of people across the partisan divide feel about having the first black woman on the court. And then you have, as you say, these tensions reaching a boiling point. You have the liberal dissenters out this summer, you know, casting doubt on the court's legitimacy. Elena Kagan said the court should be acting like a court, not a group of partisans. The chief justice has taken issue with that. And just this week, Jake, Samuel Alito, who wrote the opinion uh, last June, rolling back a half century of abortion rights, said, it's okay for people to feel free to express disagreement with our decisions, but saying or implying that the court is becoming an illegitimate institution or questioning our integrity crosses an important line. It almost felt like a warning of sorts, but just think of how much this court affects American life. So you understand why dissenting liberals would be complaining, and you would also understand why the public itself is concerned about the justices rolling back precedent and voting along lines that look highly partisan. Yeah, and there are a lot of progressives and Democratic senators who think that Justice Alito and others misrepresented their views in their, in their confirmation hearings. Public trust in the institution, in the judiciary, is, is plunging. Tell us more about that. You know, the recent Gallup poll shows that 58% of the people polled felt like the court was not performing the way it should. It's such a high number. It's like a record high for as, much, as long as Gallup has been surveying things. And it repeats what we had seen consistently through the summer by universities that poll and other institutions that were asking public opinion. It's really at a, at a point that could be seen as a crisis of legitimacy, which is exactly what the Chief Justice and Samuel Alito say people shouldn't second guess on. But they're starting a new term on Monday, and we'll see where they go from here. All right, John Biskupic, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Joan is also featured in a special report this weekend you're not going to want to miss. Supreme Power with CNN's Fareed Zakaria. Zakaria reports on recent controversial decisions and why America seems to be losing faith in the U.S. Supreme Court. This new investigation, Supreme Power, airs Sunday night at 8 Eastern, only here on CNN. We're going back to the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. The death toll in Florida now stands at 42. CNN's Bill Weir made it to the barrier island of Sanibel Island, which is cut off from the mainland, only accessible by boat or by air now. We're going to talk to Bill Weir about what he saw on Sanibel Island. That's next. Welcome to the lead. I'm Jake Tapper. This hour, Vladimir Putin's most audacious move yet, declaring huge chunks of Ukraine to officially be part of Russia as his forces continue to be beaten back even further. Now the U.S. is responding. Plus, obliterated. That's really the only word to use to describe what Hurricane Ian did to large swaths of Florida. CNN's tally of the death toll in Florida has regrettably risen. It now stands at 42 people killed. In the past 48 hours, the Coast Guard has been going door-to-door rescuing Floridians trapped by the destruction. The scale of damage and destruction is frankly mind-blowing. This is Fort Myers and the surrounding coastal communities. Water so strong it punched holes through exterior walls of houses. Entire buildings reduced to pieces of lumber. No electricity, no water, no fuel. But right now, Hurricane Ian is making its third landfall in Georgetown, South Carolina, just south of Myrtle Beach. And you're looking at the surging ocean washing away the pier at Cherry Grove along North Myrtle Beach. 
South Carolina's coast being pounded with high winds, rain, and a dangerous storm surge that's causing flooding. In North Myrtle Beach, the water has been rising and is now past the mailboxes. Let's go back to Nick Valencia, who is in Myrtle Beach. And, and Nick, uh, Myrtle Beach already seeing uh, some signs uh, that things are going to get better. Yeah, they're getting some reprieve here, Jake, and some welcome reprieve. For the first time all day, the sun is out, and it seems as though the worst of Hurricane Ian has come and gone. It made landfall just a couple of hours ago, just south of us in Georgetown, but it did bring some significant damage here to Myrtle Beach. Thousands are without power still. At last check with the emergency management, 13,000 were without power. Portions of the pier, as you reported, had been broken off into the Atlantic, and there was some localized flooding with uh, roads inundated with water, causing road closures. Uh, as it stands right now, though, we do not know of any reports of injuries. We've been checking with the local emergency management here. So far, it's just some significant damage to the piers. And uh, there was some cause for concern a short time ago. About an hour ago, as we were reporting, a shrimp boat appeared along the Atlantic Ocean, just really out of nowhere, getting hammered by those still very choppy waves at the time. Uh, it was unclear if anyone was on the boat at the time. Initially, when we were reporting, we did walk over there and talk to the sheriff. He said they were uh, the crew on the boat was evacuated yesterday by the Coast Guard. It was anchored a couple of miles away from here, but that intense wind caused it to drift on shore here. There's a uh, just to the off camera, there's a huge crowd surrounding that boat. In fact, somebody tried to climb on top of the boat and was arrested. Uh, but here, though, there is a welcome sign of a rainbow here behind me. I don't know if you could make that out. And people here are along the beach trying to check out what they uh, what they could see. Some treasure hunters as well. All of this was underwater just a couple of hours ago. That water has receded. The biggest thing that happened here was the storm surge. At the height, there was 10 feet of water. And I think no one, even the local residents, expected about seven feet of that storm surge. Jake. All right, Nick Valencia, thank you so much. I want to bring in the mayor of North Myrtle Beach with uh, South Carolina with Marilyn Hatley. She's on the phone. Mayor Hatley, Cherry Grove Pier is now destroyed. The power is in and out. There's reports of some bad flooding already in parts of North Myrtle Beach. What, what damage have you seen so far? Well, Jake, I have been out all day. And yes, we have had some damage to our pier uh, in the Cherry Grove area. Uh, we have had a tremendous amount of uh, flooding from uh, Hurricane Ian, uh, many of the streets around the marshlands and uh, between the marshlands and the ocean have been underwater. Some are still underwater, uh, but the tide is going out, and uh, we are hoping to see um, uh, the reprieve from the tides in, um, not in a very near future. And Mayor Hatley, what's your biggest concern right now? Well, my biggest concern right now is um, the damage that has been done by the surge of the water. Um, the winds did some damage. We had some roofs to come off. Uh, we've had some power lines down. We've had um, people, of course, people are out of electricity. Uh, not everyone, but uh, quite a few people in our area are out of um, electricity. We've had trees down. Um, so, um, the, the just um, going out and uh, surveying everything and seeing uh, what kind of shape our city is in, and that is something that we will be doing in the next few hours. Do you think that people in South Carolina may have underestimated the strength of Hurricane Ian? Well, we knew that we were going to get some effects from the hurricane. And we've been preparing all week. We're tearing our drainage uh, 
checking all our drainage systems and uh, warning people to be prepared of uh, heavy rains and, and winds up to 40 miles per hour. Um, but I don't think that we were expecting it to come in as close to the North Myrtle Beach area as what it did. Uh, the I made landfall about 30 miles, 35 miles from our community. Um, and, of course, uh, we received winds uh, around 60 miles per hour. But uh, the storm surge, um, the, um, the timing of the storm was uh, not good for us because it came in around the high tide air uh, time. All right, Mayor Marilyn Hatley, we'll be thinking about you and all the citizens of North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Thank you so much for your time. So how strong is Hurricane Ian right now? CNN's Jennifer Gray joins us uh, from the CNN Weather Center. Jennifer, what's the latest forecast? Well, now it is a post-tropical storm. It's lost its tropical characteristics as the storm continues to push inland. We'll continue to see it weaken. It is still breezy along the coast, but just as you saw from Nick's shot, most of the energy is on the northern side of this. So the sun's already starting to come out along the coast. We'll still deal with breezy conditions tonight, but all of this rain is going to push inland. So you see places like Charlotte, Raleigh, Norfolk, all those areas will see rain now. The water is receding. The storm surge has peaked. All of that is now going back out and going out fairly quickly. We did have the third highest storm surge, though, ever recorded in Myrtle Beach. So the storm was significant for that region. And we do have a tornado watch we can't forget about. And this is until 10 o'clock tonight. So some brief spin-ups are possible, although that threat will be going down in the coming hours as well. So here's your forecast radar, and you can see those showers basically just driving up to the north. We're going to see a a dreary day in D.C. on Saturday, uh, all across West Virginia, and even into the northeast. You can see all this moisture from the storm is really just going to head that way. And so we are going to see quite a few showers going into the weekend across the mid-Atlantic and the northeast. And we could see some pretty decent rainfall. Could see anywhere from two to four inches, some areas getting up to five. Jake. All right, Jennifer Gray, thanks so much. Hurricane Ian left a wave of destruction in Fort Myers Beach, part of Lee County, Florida. Officials there say 90% of the island is, quote, pretty much gone. CNN's Bill Weir is in Fort Myers, Florida. Bill, what have you seen? Well, Jake, we wanted to head to Fort Myers Beach uh, to see exactly what had happened there. We had those uh, staggering reports that it's been wiped off. We hit sort of a roadblock, which had incredible damage that we were able to capture because we weren't able to get past there. Let me give you a little sample uh, of what that looked like just a few minutes ago. These are shorebirds and pelicans walking across wreckage in what used to be San Carlos Harbor. It's seen better days, as you can see. Uh, This is the destructive path of Ian. It came raking across here. A lot of the businesses here have of course, have to do with recreation here in paradise. Kayak rentals, bait shops, completely split open by the wind. But what's most striking about this particular spot is the boats that have been tossed into the mangroves across the street here. We have a bit of a bottleneck of human activity because this is the road to Fort Myers Beach. And the Sheriff's Department is not letting anybody on. If you haven't seen any pictures of Fort Myers Beach, this is why. There is a first and former law in Florida that's supposed to give us access when there's a state of emergency. But you got to feel for the sheriff's deputies just trying to manage the crowds here now that are piling in. You've got journalists, of course. You've got first responders. You have 
residents who are just curious who are coming by and that's creating this huge pile but this is what I wanted to show you this is across San Carlos Boulevard and just get a load of this just wanton indiscriminate destruction I, I think about how a family saves up their whole life to buy a boat or if you're a fisher fisherman you dream of being a captain one day and how perilous that is even in a good year sometimes but now what this will do to the maritime businesses around here the insurance the marine insurance companies that will have to deal with the aftermath of this and this is what I really wanted to show you guys look at this I will always remember the sight of Captain Greg's boat the Cracker Jack which is now parked on top of this Chevy Suburban you can hear the alarm going off inside the boat to alert the captain that something's wrong it's heartbreaking in this setting and then you've got laundry baskets up in the mangroves there another bait shop over here and then you find stuff like this look at this just a, a random this is a Nicholas Rulin's MGM rewards card just set down there by the most violent storm to hit this part of the coast in history and meanwhile over here you have the beeping of earth movers as they try to shove these grounded sailboats out of the way as we learned in Irma and Maria cleanup can be as much of a man-made disaster as the hurricane itself if not properly managed but we can only hope that all available resources will manage to unjumble this mess as soon as possible for these poor folks Uh, and Jake, I've just seen word that we are getting our first sort of drone pictures of Fort Myers Beach. I can't see them where I am, but we'll, we'll just roll them and we can talk about uh, the destruction we're seeing now and just thinking about, of course, there's the human life factor that that toll continues to rise, uh, but the, also the cost, the economic hit on this, the livelihoods, the lost days of work there as well. Um, we are starting to see some things come back to life. We saw our first open gas station on the way here. We saw our first open sandwich shop, and this is South Florida, so we saw our first open bar where folks were uh, easing the stress of this day out there as well. But it struck me with the power out now. We're, we're under 2 million, I think, without power, 1.4 something. I don't know the latest, but a huge swath of, of this, this state is just in the dark. No stoplights are working. It really tests the politeness of folks, you know, taking turns at, uh, at dead intersections. And then this, of course, is a state with so many senior citizens. It struck me today in our hotel, uh, these, these folks trying to help a 90-year-old woman down seven flights of stairs just to get some fresh air. And a lot of uh, seniors live in these high-rise condos that have no elevators now. So I think about that layering on as the, it's starting to heat up here as well, uh, Jake, uh, it, it's going to be a tough stretch for a bit. And Bill, um, you have covered a lot of hurricanes in the aftermath of hurricanes. What you were just doing in that piece reminded me of uh, covering uh, some of the reports uh, of, of you that you did uh, after Hurricane Katrina when we, you and I were both at ABC News. Um, how does, uh, how does the, the wake of Hurricane Ian compare to some of the other hurricanes you've covered? 
Well, I think it's just, you know, they're, they're like fingerprints, right? Every, every storm is different, has different characteristics. This one, when you see what it did to these pockets, just complete annihilation of everything that's recognizable about that society next to communities that fared pretty well. It's the massive loss of power that I've never seen before here. We saw it in Puerto Rico. Their infrastructure was really failing for a lot of other historic reasons there. And we should remember those folks who are also recovering from a hurricane that just happened a, a couple weeks ago. Um, but really it comes down to, for me, Jake, is, is there is the unnatural, now unnatural disasters of these storms that are supercharged by a warmer planet. But a lot of times they are followed by man-made disasters uh, of poor management or contracts that get inflated and given to cronies and uh, you know, cleanup efforts that you, you realize are money sinks and, and, and those sorts of things. So, so you have to hold back on judging these sorts of things. I've seen some amazing cooperation uh, from the residents and folks here and an amazing spirit that gets worn down over time. And so it really depends on how we remember this storm, really depends on how officials manage it from here forward. Yeah, and you know, there, um there's another channel that, that accused you and, you and I of uh, politicizing this because we're, we dare to mention the, the fact that, according to scientists, experts, these storms are intensifying because of, of man-made climate change. Um, there's nothing political about this. We're just stating the facts. For example, scientists say that Hurricane Ian's rainfall was at least 10% because of, of climate change. There's nothing political about that statement. That's science. You can just look at the track of people like to say, well, what about the great hurricane of 1900? Yes, those things happened in the past. Uh, the earth is a complicated system, but if you look at the trend lines, the number of category four and five storms in the recent history has gone up and you may not notice it uh, as it is, but no, it's, it, this is just physics. <laughs> you can prove the problem behind the, the climate crisis in a seventh grade science class. Um, unfortunately, it's been politicized and we've been misinformed by the special interests who profit off of the system that got us here. I didn't know that about another network. Uh, sometimes you're glad to be head down in the coverage sometimes, you know? Yeah. It's unfortunate. No, I know. It's too bad, but it doesn't matter. It's the science. It's not politicizing anything. It's the science. Bill Weir. And here's the other yeah. thing. You, you say, uh, let, let me just say, Jake, I know you got to go, but let me just say it is our obligation to show people who care about this and plan and concern for the next storm to talk about this. Where we were, the community, uh, Punta Gorda, they had the first climate resiliency plan. Are they part of the conspiracy? Right. You know what I mean? It doesn't make any sense. That misinformation just costs people more pain and suffering down the road. Yeah. Bill Weir in Fort Myers, Florida. Thank you so much. Excellent report as always. Fort Myers will never look the same. Beachside landmarks erased by Hurricane Ian. It raises questions about what's next for these communities. How long will it take to get this back? When I look at this, this is not a quick fix. This is not six months. This is long term. This is long term. I mean, you're talking about, you know, not not refurbishing structures. You're talking about no structure left. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis just started giving an update on Ian's aftermath in his state. Let's listen in. So it's 
it's the um, it's sad to lose your your belongings anyways of course uh, but there's a lot of history uh, in, in in that part of the state and many parts of our state uh, so you see that it's hard to just replace that so there's going to be things that need to do infrastructure wise bridges some of the other stuff down there but I was pleasantly surprised to see 48 hours after a massive impact uh, I saw Publix's reopening I saw Wawa's opening I saw all this happening in Lee County and so the quicker that the broader population can get back to normal uh, that's going to make it uh, easier to help those who have been displaced. Uh, we also toured uh, uh, over in Central Florida with the Seminole County Sheriff's Office some of the flooding there and I can tell you what we saw in Central Florida was more standing water than what we saw in Southwest Florida where the big storm surge came in. It's just because of the way they have the, 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 the Caloosahatchee, the inlets, I mean, the sand, it, for whatever reason, that really dissipated uh, over the last uh, 24 to 36 hours. You go in places in Central Florida, there's a lot of standing water. Uh, some of these places, um, you know, had uh, water still up a couple feet on some of the homes. Uh, they're bracing for more impacts as you see some things with the St. John's and other things that happen. So that was, we knew there would be flooding, but to have more standing water 200 plus miles away than that is saying something. And then we knew we've seen the impacts in this community up here in Northeast Florida before. We are going to be asking, Kevin's gonna be working with FEMA about potentially expanding individual assistance eligibility uh, beyond the counties that have already been added. So right now it's Southwest Florida into Central Florida. Uh, it stops before you get up into uh, St. John's. I don't think Flagler or Volusia are in it either. So you look, Flagler, Volusia, yeah, they've had some big impacts too. So, so that's something that we're gonna be working with them on. We think that that will be something that, 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 will, be, that will be helpful for the residents of, of this area. Fuel by and large has done done really well even with the ports having to shut down because of the storm uh, you have fuel flowing in it was good to see these gas stations open in southwest florida you know that's something that we've had storms in the past where people were without fuel for weeks or a long time and that that's a pain it makes it harder for people to get back uh, so we appreciate uh, the attention that's been paid on that and then uh, in terms of like telecom service uh, it is getting better in Southwest Florida. Uh, they are putting more towers in because of the towers that, that have been destroyed. Uh, but I would say that uh, you know all the companies I think now are allowing the other consumers to uh, other customers to roam on their network, and so that makes it very helpful. So if you're down there, uh, just you know don't try to do Wi-Fi calling. That's not uh, up where it needs to be. Uh, just do normal calling with roaming. And if you're a Verizon, you can't get that, you may be able to get AT&T. And so that's something that's very, very important. Um, I want Kevin to come up and give an update and then we'll have uh, the administrator come up as well. Kevin. Thank you, Governor. Thank you for your leadership all day long today. Uh, here in St. John's County, St. Augustine's, I know some of the public safety officials know this is my home. So I'm, you know, I'm coming back home. This is not the way that I like to come home on the weekends, but uh, you know, I'm here to help not just the state of Florida, but also my hometown. So um, we're, we're out here walking the streets. Uh, I'm myself, the administrator, the regional administrator, we're sitting here talking about, you know, different aspects of this particular neighborhood, other areas around St. John's County to potentially get them into the um, declaration for individual assistance. You know, I think one of the things we have in this particular community that I wanna just talk about, because we don't get an awful lot of time to talk about this, is just down the road here, we have a house that's being raised with FEMA funding as a part of the flood mitigation assistance grant program 
there's a similar program called the Hazard Mitigation Grant Program that will be coming as a part of this particular storm disaster. I know they're complicated and complex grants to work through. They take a little bit of time, uh, but at the same time, if you're in a situation where you continually flood, then we can elevate your home. And that those are good ideas to do in, the, in, this, in a neighborhood just like this. So uh, highly encourage you folks in this area to consider those programs. I know the city and the uh, county or will be reaching out to individuals that want uh, participants in that program. So please continue to be a part of that program. As the governor has mentioned, infrastructure is, uh, we're seeing the results of infrastructure hardening. Uh, the chief was telling me that some of the uh, lift stations and whatnot were more resilient in this storm than they were in Matthew. So things are, you know, we're, we're getting better at what we do as far as hurricane response. Um, if there's things that you need, please make sure you reach out to your local emergency management agency, reach out to the fire chief, the police chief here. Uh, make sure that we know about them, get those things rolled up to us. We're gonna be here to continue to support uh, not just St. John's County and the city of St. Augustine, but all Floridians across the state. So Governor, appreciate your leadership on this. Thank you. Okay, and joining us uh, from FEMA is our administrator, Deanne Criswell. Thank you. Uh, I really appreciated the opportunity. All right, we're going to break away uh, now that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has stopped uh, talking and, and uh, he was joined, obviously, by other officials updating the public on the devastating devastation brought on their state by that powerful hurricane. Uh, Ian, um, next we're going to go to a hard-hit Florida county where at least 10 people have been killed and there is only one hospital that is operational. That hospital is regrettably unable to accept any new patients. Uh, we'll talk to them next. Let's go now to Charlotte County, Florida, where Punta Gorda is located. Let me bring in the public information officer for the Charlotte County Sheriff's Office, Claudette Smith. Claudette, tell us what your county's facing right now. Well, we're facing a tragedy. It's a national disaster down here. We have many of our community members without homes, without water, without electricity. Um, so it's a very chaotic time right now. A Charlotte County commissioner says that there's only one operating hospital right now in your area, and it's at capacity and that no one is being accepted in the emergency room just because there isn't any room. Tell us about that. Well, um, we're facing a lot of issues right now between getting the necessities, the essentials to our folks, um, setting up those comfort stations to provide electricity, food, water, the necessities to the community, let alone still, still responding to those emergency types calls to domestic disputes, those types of things, you know, they rise in these in these scenarios. Um, so the hospital being down, it's devastating. Um, we have a lot of third-party entities, outside entities who are coming to assist us, um, and we couldn't be more thankful. But what does somebody do right now if they have a, a medical emergency and they go to the hospital, they get turned away? What, what happens to them right now? So we are... We want you to call 911. Um, our medical professionals in Charlotte County are going to be able to find those services. They're not going to turn you away. If they have to triage you in the ambulance, they're going to do so. Um, and they're also transporting people out of the county to those medical facilities. What resources do you all need right now, either from the state government or the federal government? What do you What do you need right now? We need everything. Um, to put it plain and simple, we need everything. We need all hands on deck. Um, I know. You know, the, the people who have come to our assistance have been tremendously helpful, um, but we do need everything. We need resources. Um, we need to be able to get our, our community back together, um, and it's going to take some time, but we can get through it. We know that, uh, tragically, 10 people in Charlotte County lost their lives because of Hurricane Ian. 
Um, is that the final number? Do you expect that number to rise? It is not. Um, that is not the final number. Um, I'm not exactly sure where that number came from as we haven't really confirmed a death toll. Um, we're allowing the medical examiner in our district to provide that, that number to the media and to the community. Um, but I do know there were several deaths. Um, is, is 10 not the correct number? I mean, is there another number you can share with us? No, I, I do not have a correct number, so I can't give you, I can't speculate on the final death toll. All right. Thank you so much. And, and keep in touch so we can keep shining a light uh, on the people from Charlotte County and, and the fact that they need, as you heard just now, everything. They need everything to help their people survive. Um, God bless you. And, and please stay in touch so we can help shining a light on you. Uh, it is startling when you see what parts of Florida looked like before Hurricane Ian hit. Uh, this was Sanibel Island. You're looking at right now. This is what it did once look like. Um, full of resorts, businesses, vacation homes. Now look at it. Piles of debris ground into mountains of sand. Every structure on one property gone. Basically just wiped off the map. Some of the houses scattered across the road like, like toys. Others pulverized. Places with beachy names like Mitchell Sand Castles that evoke happier times. They, they no longer exist. All that's left is, is sand where those buildings once stood. There are growing concerns that excessive rain and storm surge from this monster storm and from future hurricanes like it will cause flooding in many areas that are not even in designated floodplains. The state of Florida and 20 other states do not legally require home sellers to disclose past flooding or flood damage to potential buyers. It's not required by law. And as CNN's Renee Marsh reports, that means millions of Americans are at risk of ending up underwater in more ways than one. Even now on a bright sunny day, it's psychologically traumatic for me because I'm on constant alert, waiting, dreading the next rainfall. When Jackie Jones moved into her Reedsville, Georgia home four years ago, she had no idea rain in the forecast would also mean her property would flood. Heavy rain caused this February 2020 flooding, and one month later, Jones says more rain caused more flooding. The water was literally over three feet high. Up at the house, at the windowsills where it got to, it was almost four feet. No one told Jones the biggest financial investment she was making, her new home, was prone to flooding. FEMA maps say the risk is low and her home state of Georgia does not have flood disclosure laws that require home sellers to reveal flood history. If I had better information, up-to-date information, accurate information, I would not have purchased this house. So now I'm trapped in a 30-year mortgage I can't get out of. Jones is not alone. The Natural Resources Defense Council tracks state flood disclosure laws and says the majority of states either have inadequate laws or none at all, leaving home buyers completely in the dark as climate change supercharges rainfall, storms, and floods. If you're buying a home in the majority of states, you are not going to be told up front about past flood damages. The Natural Resources Defense Council data shows a whopping 21 states, including flood-prone states like Florida and West Virginia, have no flood disclosure requirements. One study estimates that home buyers can incur tens of thousands of dollars over the course of their mortgage if they purchase a previously flooded home. We are talking about some of the most populous states in the nation that lack adequate disclosure laws. We're talking about Florida, states like New York and New Jersey. 
As climate change makes severe flooding more intense and more frequent, especially in low-lying places like Florida, NRDC says there's even more urgency for a federal flood disclosure law similar to the Lead Disclosure Act, which requires homeowners to tell buyers if there are lead hazards in a home. In the meantime, real estate tech company Redfin is trying to fill the information void by making flood risk data available with listings based on climate projections, information that would have protected Jackie Jones from unknowingly buying a flood-prone home. If you don't know, how are you supposed to make an informed decision? You can't. Something's got to change. Something's got to change. And Jake, population growth is exploding in many of these hurricane-prone areas, and that simply means the number of Americans left in the dark because of nondisclosure is skyrocketing, too. Now, just late last year, two bills that call for federal flood um, disclosure laws, they were introduced to Congress, but they have not passed yet. But in the meantime, Jake, homeowners and renters alike should ask pointed questions about the properties they're considering, because even in states that don't require disclosures, Sellers cannot misrepresent what they do know about a property's flood history. Jake? All right, Renee Mars, thank you uh, so much. And one of the big questions in Florida going forward, will homeowners be able to buy flood insurance? Stay with us. Florida homeowners have long faced an expensive and difficult market to insure their homes. Storms such as Hurricane Ian are only going to make things worse. Even for the lucky ones who escaped any major damage, that's because for the better part of two decades, the nation's major insurance companies have steered clear of Florida altogether. CNN's Mark Stewart joins us now live. Mark, why aren't the big insurance companies insuring homes in Florida anymore? What options do Floridians have? Right, Jake. Let me just point out the obvious. Insurance is a business. It's an industry that depends on a lot of money and a lot of risk. And as one analyst told us recently, Some of this reluctance by these big insurance companies may be because Florida simply sees a lot of hurricanes, a lot of tropical storms. So then that leaves the question, what are people in Florida supposed to do? What are they doing? Well, they're depending on smaller independent insurance companies. But the track record has been challenging. Within this past year, six of those smaller companies became insolvent. Uh, The state also has a program that is picking up a big part of that burden. Uh, But then there's also a question of cost. If you look in Florida, the national average for for insurance in Florida for homeowners policies, it's nearly three times the national average per year, $4,200 a year in Florida compared to about $1,500 in the broader United States. Uh, So it is a big cost burden on a lot of families. And Jake, I was in touch with someone from the industry today and I said, what's the biggest challenge right now? He is telling me that adjusters have so many claims, they may not be able to handle it. That is the big burden right now, fulfilling all these claims. And that too can certainly impact price in Florida. And, And it's important to remind viewers who have never personally dealt with hurricanes before that for insurance purposes, damage caused by wind is different than damage caused by water in a hurricane. And that means the storm surge, the the flood damage, is not covered by homeowner's insurance, right? Right. That's a very important point. I'm glad you brought that up. 
Homeowners insurance is not necessarily one size fits all. A lot of the damage we're talking about is only specifically covered by flood insurance. Some mortgages actually require it, but in some parts of the country that's not required. So this may be a very good moment, no matter where you live, to talk to your insurance provider. Did what you have in the past, is it working in the present, and and will it help you in the future, perhaps? All right, Mark Stewart reporting for us in New York. Thanks so much. It's a fight not only for their lives, but to take back their homes. Ukrainian forces beating back Russian troops, and we will take you there. Stay with us. The Biden administration has announced it is imposing what it calls severe new sanctions on Russia after Vladimir Putin announced the annexation of nearly one-fifth of the country of Ukraine. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan today called Putin's action, quote, a flagrant violation of international law. The United States will never recognize these actions. The world will never recognize these actions. We will sanction and impose export controls on any individual, entity, or country that provides political or economic support to these attempts at annexation. Putin's attempt to annex and absorb one-fifth of a sovereign country comes as President Zelensky of Ukraine officially signed an application for Ukraine to join the NATO alliance. That happened today. Let's bring in CNN's Nick Payton Walsh, who's in Kramatorsk, Ukraine, where Ukrainian troops are continuing to make advances into occupied territory that Moscow has just falsely claimed is now part of of Russia proper. That includes, uh, Nick, where you are standing right now. What's the reaction among Ukrainians there? Yeah, look, I mean, there's been no difference for this town, Kramatorsk, from this morning when it was part of Ukraine to this evening when Russia now thinks it's part of Russia. What we saw today in Moscow was startling messaging by a Kremlin that's really been on the rocks for the past week or longer, frankly. A real sense of them wanting people domestically to know that they're on the course towards victory. The ground matters here weren't changed by Vladimir Putin standing on stage and signing pieces of paper with the four Moscow-appointed leaders of occupied territory here in Ukraine, but it was essentially a chance for him to say, we'd like a ceasefire. That isn't going to happen because Ukraine's on the front foot here. Talk about negotiations. Nobody really trusts Russia at the negotiating table at this stage. And also, without directly threatening the use of nuclear weapons to protect what Russia now falsely calls expanded Russia, the threat of nuclear force hung in the background in the speech for quite some time. But fundamentally, nothing has really changed here in terms of the front line, although Russia may think it has more cards it can play or may have generated more domestic support for what looks like a long war for it. Instead, on the ground here, we are seeing around the vital Russian-held hub of Liman, a railway town, Ukraine essentially encircling that, and that could have significant fall-on effects for Russia's position elsewhere uh, here in Ukraine. And we've seen just the sheer force of Ukraine's advance in the past weeks uh, in recent days. Hidden but unstoppable. Ukraine's not bragged much about its march south from Kharkiv towards the prize of Donetsk, but every rooftop or tree line suggests they've just been too busy advancing. Day by day, reducing how much of occupied Ukraine Moscow has this day falsely declared Russian territory. With the ultimate goal, encircling the vital railway town of Lyman at hand. No quarter given, all the way through the forests to the monastery town of Svetogorsk. The drive to this point 
probably the most depressing two hours we spent on the road for the whole six months of this war, just laying bare the utter ferocity of the fighting and also to the speed of Ukraine's advance to this town, which itself is shocking. Eight years ago, at the start of the conflict, I lived on off here for six months and just learned to appreciate its normality, its peace amid all the pines here. And that's just gone. It is the most fragile who remained when Russia moved in. Anna is one of nine people left in her block. She almost didn't make it. The scariest was when the Russians one night were in a firefight in my courtyard. I was in the doorway and tried to hold a steel door shut. But a soldier pulled at the door, so I jumped down and fell in the basement. He tore open the door, shot his gun into the darkness and missed me. Some seek survival in their god here whose monastery looks down on the mess. Luba asks me if they'll come back, the Russians. They made such a mess of their new post office, she says. On her shirt, a lock of hair from her local beloved priest, killed by shelling in June. I attached it as a protective amulet, she says. Tell me, can I leave here now? Even the carcass of here, still rocked by shelling. But the church bells finally rang again two days ago. They brought Ludmilla to tears. It rang and I heard it, she says, and I listened and it got louder. They are now out of the church basement where they hid from the bombs and still try to live. She's just saying it's cold down here and you can feel that seven months underground. Anxious to not show their faces, their plight down here is their private tragedy, one says. Ludmilla's disabled son was injured in shelling and taken to hospital, she tells me. She last saw him alive, but that is all she knows down here. There is little salvation here, only ruin turning to rust. There is no let-up in Ukraine's advances, or of Moscow's imminent annexation. The absurd claim this land is now actually Russian territory. The land here, testimony to how the collision between this right and that's wrong. Shred the very thing both covet. So no sense of anything approaching recognition in those ceremonies in Moscow that things are not going well for Russia on the front lines here. And there is the potential, as I said, in the days ahead as Ukraine moves around Liman, disrupts Russian supply lines, that we see another chaotic failure to regroup amongst Russian forces that could alter yet again their control over an area which Russia has just claimed is now part of Russia. Putin's war not going to plan despite the messaging they tried to give in Moscow and you have to wonder how he's going to bridge the gap between what he says is happening and what will happen and what is clearly happening here on this battlefield. Jake. All right, Nick Payton Walsh in Kramatorsk, which remains Ukraine. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. We'll be right back. Don't miss State of the Union this Sunday. Both Florida Senators, Rick Scott and Marco Rubio, along with the FEMA Administrator, Deanne Criswall. That's Sunday at 9 a.m. Eastern and again at noon here at CNN. Until then, I will see you on Monday. Thanks so much for watching. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level.
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.